I'd like to have one more prayer. I'm so glad that the book of Revelation wins with the J team winning, ends with the J team winning, Lord Jesus. And as we think about the turning point that's coming, maybe even already starting, stir our hearts with fresh realization that we're actually just strangers passing through. This world is not our home. And thank you for promising you're going to return for your friends and that every one of us can be among that group. Please stir our hearts. Do whatever you need to do in me so you can pour through me. I pray that the Holy Spirit would prepare us to see with spiritual eyes and hear with spiritual ears. And once again, I ask that you rebuke Satan's power to get in the way of any of that. In Jesus' name, amen. In December of 1776, things were not looking good for the American Revolution. They had been demoralized by a huge defeat in New York, and they were all wanting to quit. These were soldiers who had hired on. They were mercenaries, and their term, uh, their job was supposed to end on December 31st, and they couldn't wait to be done with the American Revolution. They were going to be out of here. They'd been under-equipped. They'd been poorly dressed. They were discouraged. Many of them were barefoot. There was 2,500, 2,500 of these ragtag soldiers, chapped and bleeding feet, who were eager to be done, but it was Christmas Day, and perhaps you remember this picture. Uh, it's sort of a classic in American art, George Washington crossing the Delaware. Now, I personally don't think he was standing there all noble and regal like that, because I think that would have been an invitation to falling into the cold, icy water, but it makes for a good painting anyway. You probably remember the story, around 11 p.m., on Christmas Eve, it was snowing, but it wasn't just snowing, it was sleeting. So this is not dry snow, this is wet snow. This is the kind of snow that as it lands on you, it soaks you, it doesn't just fall off. And so the ragtag army, poorly equipped, underfed, um, and, and underdressed for that, for that for, as well, uh, were, were drenched to the bone. But they start across, they start going across the Delaware River, and they go from 11 p.m. until 3 in the morning before he has the 2,500 all the way across. The men then press through the cold, dark, and the snow. Historians tell us they were leaving a trail of blood in the snow because their feet were chapped and bleeding, and they were, many of them, barefoot. So there was a red path as they walked through the cold snow. But they caught the Hessian soldiers by surprise and attacked an outpost of Trenton and Princeton, and they actually won those skirmishes, and the American effort galvanized the colonies. All of a sudden, people were so excited about this turning point, this change in the way things had been going, that they said, sign me up. And overnight, George Washington's army went from 2,500 to 5,000. And historians say that it was probably one of the most significant turning points in the American Revolution. One of the most significant turning points. Well, there's a turning point coming in the great controversy between Christ and Satan as well. The devil has been going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He knows that his time is short, and he's ramped things up currently. You can see it if you have eyes that are even half open. You can see he's alive and well on planet Earth, and he's trying to take as many with him as he can before this whole thing comes crashing down. The lion that roars to devour. But there is another lion. 
There is another lion. He's known as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's been watching from the tall grass on the side. Have you ever watched a cat that's stalking a bird? Have you ever watched a cat stalking something and how it goes down, kind of hugs the ground with its belly and it kind of crawls along and it stops and its tail twitches and then it crawls a little further and you can see its ears going forward and its tail twitches. And then all of a sudden it stands and it races for whatever it is and it pounces. Well, in my mind, as the lion who's going about seeking whom he may devour, the devil has been doing what he's doing, there's then the lion of the tribe of Judah and he's watching from the tall grass to one side. But there comes a point in time when the line of the tribe of Judah stands. He basically says, Satan, your 15 minutes is up. And he puts his head up in the air and he roars. And as he roars, the roar goes around the circle of the globe. It echoes across the universe. Satan sees the line of the tribe of Judah who has shaken his mane, uttered this roar. Hosea 11.10 says... They will follow the Lord, and he will roar like a lion. So on my mind, I can hear Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, just sort of going, and all creation trembles before the roar, and the devil realizes his time is just about over. In Revelation 19, we find this turning point being described, and I'm going to put it on the screen. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. The armies of heaven were following him, and they were riding on white horses as well, and they were dressed in fine linen, white and clean. <laughs> I, I get a kick out of that, that, the fact that they're dressed in white. What army would go to war dressed in white unless they were sure of victory, you know? <laughs> Like these people aren't worried about getting their, 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 their garments stained. Out of his mouth came, comes a sharp sword, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. I love it, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the last battle, the final battle. Jesus mounts. In fact, in my mind, I can picture him there. The time has come. Jesus stands maybe on the edge of the wall. He looks out across a large grassy meadow and he puts two fingers into his, into his mouth and he whistles. And a great grand war stallion grazing somewhere out there in the grass perks its ears up. It hears the whistle. It wheels around. Its nostrils flare. It begins dashing towards Jesus as he comes to meet it there on the, on the grass. And as the stallion races across the meadow, clods of dirt and sod and grass are shooting up behind the, the hooves as it tears across. It comes up to Jesus, skids up to a stop. Jesus puts one hand on the withers of this thing he looks around all of the other army the followers who are going to be dressed in white are waiting their cue jesus springs onto the back of the stallion he puts one arm like this it's their cue they spring on as well and then he says we're out of here let's go rescue them and they begin thundering earthward oh man thundering earthward the battle of our only two sides only two sides in the whole universe now. Only two kinds of people. Let me read you this little thing. Two great, two great opposing powers are revealed in the last great battle. Just two. On one side stands the creator of heaven and earth. All on his side bear his signet. They are obedient to his commands. Just two sides. Just two sides. On the other side stands the prince of darkness. 
with those who have chosen apostasy and rebellion. And they're thinking about now, I maybe made the wrong choice. Just two sides. When Jesus comes, just two groups, those who know God and those who don't know God. And according to Matthew 7 and John 17, Jesus has made it clear that knowing him is what it's all about. And there will be people who were members of churches but didn't know him. They knew the doctrines, but they didn't know the doctor. They knew the rules, but they didn't know the ruler. But he's coming. And now those who know him are looking forward with eagerness and expectation. Uh, Just before this happens, there's a great shaking. We talked about it earlier in the seminar. We're not going to go over that ground again except to say that as this shaking happens, because right up until just before Jesus comes, there's three groups, the hot, the cold, and the lukewarm. But when he comes, just two. So this shaking has taken place. And as the shaking takes place, you see a division begin happening in the world. It becomes more and more apparent. I think I used a little uh, nursery rhyme that my grandfather had told me. When I was a kid, there was a little girl who had a curl in the middle of her forehead, and when she was good, she was very, very good, and when she was bad, she was horrid. That's what's happening just before Jesus comes. Those who have been in the middle go one way or the other, and so then we have these two groups, very wicked and very on fire with love for Jesus. Two groups. And it's happening everywhere you go. Look, right now, it's happening. The, the division is becoming more and more apparent, and the groups are becoming more and more obvious, whether it's in a public school system, whether it's in the political system, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a community. It doesn't matter. Around the globe, this is happening. Two groups are forming. And it puts me in mind with something that happened many years ago as maybe a precursor of what we are going to be expecting to see happening more and more now as Jesus' return comes nearer and nearer. Many years ago, my father, he was preaching. He did a series of meetings called A Week of Prayer at a school called Southern University. Back in those days, it was SMC, but they changed the name since. Anyway, he was there. Uh, I think this was uh, back in about 1971 or 72, and he did a week of spiritual emphasis. That week was recorded on cassette tape. Can you remember cassettes? Does anybody still remember cassettes? Yeah. And those cassettes uh, were duplicated and scattered around, and, and uh, the presentations that he gave at that, at that time uh, seemed to be very, uh, like, kind of like water to thirsty ground for many people. And they bought up those cassettes and began to share, share them with others. Well, <clears throat> there was, that's in College Dale, Tennessee. Now, Dal- Dalton, Georgia, not that far away, um, the, 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 there was a couple who, who were Seventh-day Adventist Christians, and they lived next door in their little suburb, suburban home. They lived next door to uh, a, a gentleman who was a Southern Baptist pastor. And they were good friends. And they'd been living side by side for years. And they enjoyed many good times together and conversations and such. Anyway, one particular day, the Southern Baptist pastor was talking with them and across the fence of the yard. And he told them he'd become excited about a subject that for him was new ground. He said, it's righteousness by faith in Christ alone. He said, all of my life I've been focusing on the rules. But he said, all of a sudden I'm discovering that if I focus on the ruler, instead of the rules, he writes the rules in my heart. And I don't have to focus on the rules because focusing on him does the work that needs to be done. I am so excited about this. He said, I am eating up anything and everything I can find on that subject. He said, do you guys know anything about that subject? They said, actually... We have a set of cassette tapes. Actually, they said we have a 
cassette tape. They didn't tell me they had the set. They said, we have a cassette tape of a guy who's also excited about that, present, uh, that, that material. And if you'd like to listen to it, hear what somebody else has done with it, uh, we'd be happy to share it with you. He said, I would love it. And so they gave him cassette tape number one of the series, which had 12 or 13 presentations in it. He listened to it the very same day he came back. He said, this looks like it's part of a series. They said, it is. He said, could I have the whole series? They said that he, you could. So they gave him all 12 or 13 tapes. Two days later, he came back and he said, that is wonderful. I listened to the whole series. And, and I'm wondering, does this guy have anything in print? They said, actually, he does. He has some books. He said, well, I'd love to read some. Do you have any? They said, we do. He said, well, can I borrow? So he borrowed. And he would read one. He'd bring it back and exchange it for another. He'd read one. He'd bring it back, exchange it for another. Well, he got more and more excited about the subject of Christ and his righteousness, righteousness by faith in Jesus, which is the result of spending time with Jesus daily. And um, then time passes. Years go by. More than 10 years. More than a decade goes by. They continue to be neighbors there in Dalton, Georgia. And then my dad comes back to Southern. By this time, they've changed the name. So now it's Southern University. He comes back. And they ask him to do another presentation, another series, another week of prayer, emphasis week for the school, which he does. Well, those, that couple still lives next door to the Southern Baptist pastor. And so they say to him, hey, you know that guy that you, re you read the books, you listen to the tapes and so on? He's doing another one of those series just, you know, up here in College Dale, not that far, maybe an hour's drive, I'm guessing. I don't know the geography that well, but anyway, about an hour's drive. And, you know, you might want to check it out if you can. So this guy went to every meeting. There was a morning meeting, and there was an evening meeting, and then there was one on Sabbath at the end of the week. He went to all of the meetings. He'd come up for the first morning meeting, then he'd go back and do his work for the day, come back for the evening meeting, and he did that all week long. At the end of the week, he came up for the Sabbath worship service on Saturday, and after the service, my father was out in the foyer shaking hands. This fellow stayed off to one side and just waited until there wasn't that many people left. And then he came up to my dad and he said, I am a Southern Baptist pastor down in Dalton, Georgia. And I'm just wondering, could you come down and preach in my church tomorrow um, for, the main, for the main presentation for our worship hour? And my dad said, that is an invitation that I would love to be able to accept but he said, I'm scheduled to speak in another location that requires me to fly from, I don't know where you fly into when you come into College Dale. What's the big city near there? I don't remember. But any, Chattanooga, thank you. Yeah, he said, I'm supposed to fly out of Chattanooga and I have to catch a plane to be wherever I'm going to be for the next presentations that I have scheduled. And the guy said, well, could you change your flight? and maybe fly out of Dalton and still get there on time. And my dad says, well, I don't know. I, I'd, have to, I'd have to check with the airline. And the pastor said, okay, then I'll wait. <laughs> my dad realized he was serious. So they found a phone in the church office. My dad called the airline. Anyway, I can still get to my appointment by flying out of Dalton on Sunday afternoon. And they said, yep, we can make that happen. And uh, so... That pastor said, get in my car, grab your suitcase, you'll stay at my house tonight, and tomorrow you'll preach at my church. Well, as they're driving down to his house, this pastor says to my father, I just want you to know, you Seventh-day Adventists don't have a corner on legalism. He said, we Southern Baptists run you guys ragged when it comes to focusing on rules and regulations. And he said, you know what? 
Many years ago, my neighbor shared with me messages that you were preaching here at this very place. He said they were so transformational. They were such welcome messages. It was so much breath of fresh air and water and parched ground. He said, I tell you without, without embarrassment or apology, I plagiarized your sermons. I plagiarized the books and the chapters in your book. I preached the messages of righteousness by faith. I have a church attendance of 1,200, and in less than six months, I lost 600 members who said, we're out of here. We don't like that kind of talk. But he said, it's such good news that others filled their absent places. And he said, we now still have, now again, have 1,200 attending. And that's who you're going to speak, about, speak to tomorrow. They love this focus on Jesus and knowing him. Well, the next day, they go to church. The pastor gets up just before the time to preach, and he says to the audience, he says, um, I know in the bulletin it says I'm supposed to speak on such and such a subject. Well, that's not going to happen today. It's going to happen next week, and there's a reason. This is what he said next. He said, my favorite pastor was in the area, about an hour's drive from here, holding a series of meetings called a week of prayer, emphasis, for a, uh, a university not far from here, and I went and attended all of them. And I asked him if he would preach today right here in our church, and so he is, and so I'm just going to introduce him now, and he'll have the presentation at this time. So he introduced my dad. My dad came up. He did not tell the people anything other than his name. And my dad came up, and he preached a sermon that's one of his favorites. Uh, it's called The Gospel According to Mary. And he talked about how that Mary had found the one thing that was needful, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and that Martha needed to learn it, and Jesus was eager for her to understand that time with him was the heart of it all. Anyway, he preached that message, and when he finished, he sat down, and after he sat down, the pastor went to the podium. He says, now I'm going to knock your socks off. I didn't tell you what denomination he's from because I didn't want you to be predisposed to think maybe he couldn't have anything good to say since he's not a Southern Baptist, but he said, the truth is, he's a Seventh-day Adventist Christian pastor, and uh, he said, you know what else the truth is? I would like to invite him to come and do a week of spiritual emphasis for our church. And if you would be inclined to attend such a thing, would you vote with your feet by doing this for me? He said, Pastor Venden and I will sit on the front row. And instead of exiting out the back of the church, I would like to invite you to come down the aisle, walk past the front row, shake his hand, and tell him if he comes, you'll come too. You just do that, and we'll, de we'll decide based on the, um, the response whether or not to ask him to come. My dad told me this story, and he said, my dad didn't cry a lot, but I, at that moment, as he told me that story, his eyes filled with tears and began to overflow, and he said, I would guess that probably 99% of the church came down the front, exited that way. They shook my hand, and they said, if you come, we'll come. And when the last person had left, that pastor turned to my dad, and he said, well. And my dad said, how could I say otherwise? So he said, yes. Dad came back, and I, I don't remember what church he was pastoring at the time, but he came back to his local congregation. Shortly after that, that Southern Baptist pastor called him up. And he said, you know what? I've been thinking about you coming out, and I want to tell you, I don't think I want you to come from my church after all. He said, I want you to come. There are 14 Southern Baptist churches within driving distance of each other in Dalton, Georgia, and I'd like to rent a larger venue, and I'd like to have all of the Southern Baptist churches in this this region enjoy the convocation in the week of spiritual emphasis would you come for all of us and my dad said how could I say no and he went and he said it was one of the most wonderful experiences of his ministry he said he told them like Agrippa almost I am persuaded to become a Baptist <laughs> but he preached Jesus 
And they ate that message up with gusto. And the reason I tell you that story is because that's just a precursor. Something like that has already started snowballing around the world. There is a growing movement of people excited about having a personal friendship with Jesus. And there's a growing movement of people who are also excited about the fact that knowing Jesus transforms lives too. It doesn't just give us forgiveness. It gives us transformation. Not just justification by faith alone, but sanctification by faith alone. And this is happening. And the reason it's happening is because we are coming around the corner of the turning point, the final events of Earth's history. I believe that with all my heart, and we're told that the final movements are going to be rapid ones. What's happening? People are looking more and more eagerly to Jesus. At the same time, it's very interesting, there's a movement going in the opposite direction. Now, there's one more thing that I want to mention before I continue with this turning point thing, and that's this. There are many people who are in the churches who aren't serious about knowing Jesus. They're just habitual church attenders. They go through the motions. When they were little, they played house. Now they play church. And they come, and they do their little thing for an hour or two, and that's the end, and that's the sum and total extent of their personal spiritual life. And they're not opposed to God. They're just not serious because they're still attracted to the things of earth and they're afraid that if they get too serious about Jesus too soon, they might miss out on something in the things of earth that might be worth enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season before they get serious about Jesus. And if you were to ask them, are you going to be interested in going to heaven? They will say something like this, absolutely, and I'm going to get serious tomorrow or tomorrow or tomorrow because I don't want to miss the last trolley out. Don't want to miss the last trolley out. Marge and I have been to Yosemite National Park many times. We love that place. And as you know, if you've been there, they have a free valley shuttle system. They have trolleys and double-decker buses and stuff that go around providing transportation for the campers. And there are bus stops all over the valley. And on each one of the bus stops, it says, this is the last time, this is the time posted for the last trolley. In the evening, this is when the last trolley comes to this stop. And there's another little sign that says, don't get caught, don't get left behind plan accordingly or you'll be walking to your campsite in the dark and Margie and I have been on more than once we have been on the trolley as it's making its final circuit of the valley and we pull up to a place our trolley is completely full and there's a crowd of people standing hoping to get on the last trolley out and as we pull up the driver says over the public address system to them, I'm sorry, folks, uh, we're completely full. Our aisles are filled. People are standing. We can't even squeeze another person in. Uh, good luck on your walk back to your camp. Um, watch, uh, watch out for the bears and the wolves and whatever else, you know. But they thought they would catch the last trolley out. And if you're waiting to catch the last trolley out, there's a real good likelihood that you're going to miss it. Amos 8, verses 12 to 13 says, Men will be wandering everywhere from sea to sea. The word of the I think there's a word missing there. Seeking. I don't know why it's missing. They'll be wandering everywhere from sea to sea, seeking the word of the Lord, searching, running, going there, going here, and not being able to find it. I don't know if there's something wrong with that slide. I'll fix it for the next time, but I don't know how it happened just now. I'm going to read it off of my notes here. 
Start over again. Men will wander everywhere from sea to sea, seeking the word of the Lord. They'll be searching. They'll be running here and there, going there, going here, but they will not find it. Beautiful girls and fine young men alike will be seeking, and they will grow faint and weary, thirsting for the word of the Lord. What's that mean? It means there's going to come a time when people who have been procrastinating about getting serious about God and the things of, of, of heaven are going to find out that they've missed the last trolley. They let too much water go under the bridge. I believe we've reached, just about reached that point. I believe that the two groups are forming in the world and in the churches right now, even as we speak. I believe the line of the tribe of Judah is about to roar and about to rush heavenward. Hebrews 10, 37 says it this way. In just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. The battle of Armageddon is soon to be fought. All the world will be on one side or the other. The question, a mighty conqueror is going to come riding forth who is no man of sorrows this time. First time, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but not this time. He will be leading the armies of heaven on white horses. They will be rushing our way. When Joshua went outside of the camp before Jericho to get the, get the plan, the battle plan, Jesus met him there. Well, Jesus is the battle plan. And as he comes forward, leading the armies of heaven, the victory is already assured. It's certain. He will stand at the head of angels. He will direct the battle. Now, who is this conqueror? We know who he is. Who is this conqueror on the white horse? He's the one who is fulfilling his promise in John 14 when he said, I will come again. And he hasn't forgotten his promise. And he is coming again. And Revelation 19, 11, referring perhaps to that very promise, says he is faithful and true. That's who's coming. The guy who is faithful and true. He made a promise and he is fulfilling that promise. Here he comes according to his promise to deliver his own. It says he has a name written upon him that no one knows except he himself. See, now he's coming with a new name. Not even angels know him by this name. But he's coming with this name now. He is coming as avenger. Earlier he was gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but now he's coming to make wrongs right. Now he's coming to, 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 to correct what's been so desperately wrong for centuries, for millennia. He's acting in a new role. Uh, Andrew Peterson has lyrics to a song called Rise Up, and I just want to share those lyrics with you just now. Every stone that makes you stumble and cuts you when you fall, every serpent here that strikes your head, heel to curse you when you crawl, crawl, the king of love one day will crush them all. And every sad seduction and every clever lie, every word that woos and wounds the pilgrim children of the sky, the king of love will break them by and by. And you will rise up in the end. You will rise up in the end. I know the night is cruel, but the day is coming soon when you will rise up in the end. If a thief had come to plunder when the children were alone, if he ravaged every daughter and murdered every son, would not the father see this? Would not his anger burn? Would he not repay the tyrant in the day of his return? Await, await the day of his return because he will rise up in the end. He will rise up in the end. I know you need a savior. He is patient in his anger, but he will rise up in the end. And when the stars come crashing to the sea, when the high and mighty fall down on their knees, we'll see the sun, S-O-N, descending in the sky. The chains of death will fall around our feet and we will rise up in the end. I love it. He's coming with a new name. He's going to make all the old things right. That's what he's coming to do. And we're going to see him coming and we're going to be so excited. He is still the word of God. He still is. And he's still at work. 
Formerly, he was carrying out the will of the Father in mercy, and now he's carrying out the will of the Father in avenging the wrongs that have been perpetrated on the planet and in the universe. Remember it said that his name said King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Remember when he came out of Joseph's tomb and said, all power has been given to me, you know, all power in heaven and in earth? <laughs> this is, talk about superpowers. This is superpower. He comes victor in heaven. He comes victor on earth. He comes to judge the living and the dead. And we are told that the heavens are going to be filled with radiant forms. I can't wait to see this. Heavens filled with radiant forms, you know? Angels on a mission with him, white horses. You might say, this is so silly, it's so archaic. I mean, we have nuclear bombs. You know, we have, we have fighter jets, and they're coming on horses? Give me a break. But I tell you what, their horses are going to ride circles around our fighter jets, you know? Well, we don't have a clue what the power of God can do, and he's coming. Human pins cannot portray the scene. Mortal minds cannot conceive the splendor. There's no thorny crown on his forehead now. No, no, no. There's a diadem of glory, a crown within a crown resting on his holy brow. And we're told his face is going to outshine the dazzling brightness of the noonday sun. That is amazing. You talk about a radiant smile. This guy's got a radiant smile. It outshines, the, it outdazzles, outshines the, 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 the dazzle of the noonday sun. The king of kings is descending upon clouds. He's wrapped in flames of fire. Try to get the picture in your mind. We're told the heavens are going to be rolling together and unrolling like a scroll, whatever that means. It's like the, what we thought was just the, the, the sky. Well, it's going to be splitting, and we're going to see things that we've never imagined you could see in daylight. There they are. And, and, and he's in the middle of it all as he comes. Every mountain and island is going to be moved out of its place. San Gregorio and San Jacinto are going to go flat and red and Grand Terrace are going to become beachfront property as the cities of the coast slide off into the water. It's going to be astounding stuff happening, astounding stuff. Psalms 50, verses 3 to 4. Our God comes. He will not be silent. A fire will devour before him, and around him a tempest will be raging. He summons the heavens above, and he summons the earth that he may judge his people. Revelation 6 says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the movers, and the shakers, the rich and the mighty, and every slave and every free man will hide in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they will call to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath has come, and who can stand? Scorners are going to cease their scoffing. Blasphemers are going to find their lips hushed in silence as they stare, unable to turn from the amazing scene that's filling the sky. The clash of arms and the tumult of battle is stilled. Now there's nothing heard except the voice of prayer. This is our God. Oh, and one other voice, the sound of weeping and wailing as rebels meet him, when they, him whom they have despised and rejected. And as they see him coming, they say, mountains, fall on us. We've made the wrong choice. Mountains, fall on us. None escape the notice of he who sees with eyes of fire. You know, his murderers were angry when Pilate put on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Remember? Well, <clears throat> He's coming now, but he's not coming as king of the Jews. He's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. That's what it says on his vestiture. They mockingly at the cross had said to him, 
We'll believe if you come down. Well, he's coming down now. He's coming down, and they have no, no recourse except to believe. They can't demand any evidence now. It's overwhelming them, and they hear themselves saying these amazing words. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They actually hear themselves saying this. They're saying this about the guy who they crucified. And they're not the only ones who are going to suddenly realize who is coming. And this gets me, kind of hurts me to, to tell you about another group that are impacted by this in a negative way. They are the people who are lost but had been regular church members. That just breaks my heart to think about. These are people who filled the pews but they didn't fill their hearts with the love of Jesus. They knew what was coming. They knew who was coming but they hadn't spent time with him. And now they see him. And everything they heard and everything they'd been taught and all the things they'd read and studied, it's happening just the way they had understood it would. But they're lost. Great Controversy, page 643, describes them. says it this way, that voice they know, his voice, they know, they recognize that voice. How often have its tender tones called them to repentance? How often has it been heard in the touching entreaties of a friend, a brother, a redeemer? The rejecters of his grace recognize the voice which has so long pleaded, turn, turn from your evil way. Why will you die? That's what Jesus is saying now. I've called. You've refused. I've stretched out my hand. And no one regarded that voice awakens memories which they would like to forget, warnings they despise, invitations they refuse, privileges that they slighted. They recognized the voice. They had intended to get serious about spiritual things, but it was going to be tomorrow. Going to be tomorrow. Going to be tomorrow. And tomorrow never came. Millions today in and out of churches have been ignoring the closing events of time and the nearness of eternity. They have become distracted. Satan has distracted them with jobs, with homes, with fashion, with TV, with movies, with music, with sports, with news. He has distracted them. And they have been absorbed with things and stuff that is going to rot or rust or burn. But it has distracted them to the point of having neglected the one who is coming now. And they are sadly oblivious of what's going on right now sadly oblivious you've heard the story and i've never tried to test it out for sure so i don't know but i'm going to believe it's true that if you put a frog into a pot a pot of boiling water the frog will immediately leap out because it knows that that water is death and it's not staying by boom it's out of there but if you put a frog into a pot of water that's not hot and then gradually raise the temperature on that water I've been told the frog will just continue swimming in the water without jumping out until finally it perishes. Now, why? Why didn't it jump out? Well, because the things that had happened, it happened gradually. And it didn't realize it was in danger. It didn't take it serious. It didn't notice what was going on all around it. Jesus is looking down right now on planet earth and he's looking at people who have been oblivious to what's happening. They've been swimming in the pool of earth and the temperature of earth has been rising and they have overlooked that they're going to perish if they don't jump out of earth and into the friendly arms of Jesus. Jesus is calling, come out, hop out of her, my people. Come, come to me. And as we've talked this week about that, what coming to Jesus looks like, we use the metaphor and the illustration of a three-legged stool 
We had it up there a few minutes ago, and we even gave the motions for it. The way you come to Jesus is not like coming to church. Coming to church is what you do after you have been coming to Jesus. That's the ideal. Church is supposed to be a gathering place of believers who are excited about the love of Jesus because they have been feeding on the bread of life all week, and they come to church full. They don't have to get filled at church because they come to church full, and they spill over to one another about the joys of being friends with Jesus, and they bring praise and worship and honor to his name. Well, so how do you get full? By sitting on the three-legged stool. You spend time reading your Bible for the purpose of getting to know Jesus, not to prove things, not to get your theological ducks in a row. You read the Bible to meet a person. You read the Bible not like you'd read Wikipedia. You read the Bible like you'd read a, a letter from a fiance, looking for what the friendly Jesus, the loving Jesus has to say to you. That's the way you read the Bible. That's the first leg of the stool. The second leg of the stool is prayer. But because it's a relationship with Jesus' stool, it's not prayer to get answers. It's not prayer to claim promises. It's not prayer for 911 emergency calls. It's prayer for the purpose of communion as friend with friend. It's a relationship we're talking about. And communication is one of the main ingredients in nurturing a relationship. And then the third leg of our stool was share. As you become more and more excited about your friendship with Jesus, spending time with him with legs one and two, you begin to have things you want to tell other people because you want these friends to know about this friend. And as you spell over to these friends, it leaves room for you to receive more of the water of life, more of the bread of life. And that keeps you from growing stagnant. And as the world, as the heat on earth rises, Jesus says, don't swim until you perish. Jump out, hop onto that three-legged stool. Let's become better acquainted. I want to put a little quotation on the screen here now. The restraining spirit of God is even now being withdrawn from the world. Do you believe this? I believe it's happening right now. The restraining spirit of God is even now being withdrawn from the world. It continues. Hurricanes, storms, tempests, fires, floods, disasters by sea and land follow each other in quick succession. Now, get this. Science tries to explain it. Laugh at science. Science tries to explain it. This is global warming. This is because we have too many cars driving. This is what's going on on planet Earth. No, no, the spirit of God is being withdrawn from the planet. And as it is withdrawn, we begin to see disasters increase unbelievably because the protection of heaven is backing away. And Satan is more than happy to rush in and make all hell break loose, hoping that people will blame God for it. I was in a doctor's office waiting for an appointment. And uh, there was a Newsweek magazine sitting there. And it said, our nat cover article on the front cover, said our natural disasters increasing I thought well, that's interesting I picked up the article for once I was hoping that my physician was going to be slow in getting me in because I wanted to read the whole article and there I was and I read it and I remember it said this it said are natural disasters increasing on the planet or do we just have a sense that they are because of the way the planet has shrunk with our social media and that we can keep in touch with each other through the internet and we know what's going on around the world so it just seems like more that was kind of their question they posed at the front of the article. Then they went on to say that they'd done exhaustive study in history and with science and with geologists and with physicists and all kinds of other people, and they said, we've come to the conclusion that natural disasters are occurring more. There have been more natural disasters occurred in the last 30 years. This is Newsweek now. This is Newsweek. More natural disasters have, in, have, have occurred in globally in the last 30 years than all of the prior years put together. 
it blew my mind when they wrote that in Newsweek. So what they were saying was, there really is more bad stuff happening naturally. More hurricanes, more floods, more fires, more droughts, more earthquakes, more all of this. And we just found out why. Science tries to explain it, but the, um, this little quotation continues. It goes like this next. <clears throat> the signs thickening around us are telling us of the near approach of the Son of God. They are attributed to any other than the true cause. Men can't discern that the sentinel angels that have been restraining the four winds have been told by God, he's bid his angels loose the winds. And as this happens, there will be such a scene of strife as no pen can picture. I wish I'd taken a picture here of this one off, of, off the internet that showed the devastation all around. This was a hurricane that came through Florida. And the big picture on this, on this um, billboard, if you could see it from higher up or from farther out, nothing but devastation for as far as you can see. All the buildings flattened. Trees knocked over, this one billboard still standing, and what's left under the, uh, uh, under the sign that had been blown off was this one previous billboard which said, we need to talk. God, we need to talk. It's like, can we be friends? Could we get together? Could we spend some time together? I'm telling you, <clears throat> the war is about to turn unmistakably in favor of the Lord's side. The terms of engagement are going to change. And a white horse is going to come thundering out of heaven. And there's going to be no mistaking who the rider is. And that's how it's going to end for those who have been living life apart from Jesus. But that's how it's going to begin for those who have responded to his invitation to friendship. One of those clouds is bringing Jesus. Hey, Mr. Weatherman, there by your map I see you stand and you let me know. Will it rain or snow? But I want to know much more. See, I'm watching for my Lord. Is he on his way? What's your radar say? I've been hearing all the forecast. The world is on a downhill slide. And I know the only answer is coming in the eastern sky When one of those clouds is full of angels More than a million strong One of those clouds is bringing Jesus I've waited oh so long Every eye is going to see him Oh, we'll hear the trumpet blow Mr. Weatherman, do you understand that that cloud means it's time to go home. Meteorologist, but Jesus has left a list of things that will come to pass. It's, it's going, going fast. Meteorologist, so many times I've wished that it could be tonight. Check your satellite. Lots of people want it sunny But I'm okay with overcast Cause I know that when we see that cloud We're going home at last When one of those clouds is full of angels More than a million strong 
One of those clouds is bringing Jesus. I've waited oh so long. Every eye is going to see him. I will hear the trumpet blow. Mr. Weatherman, do you understand that that cloud means it's time to go home? Hey now, Mr. Weatherman, do you understand? Hey now, Mr. Weatherman. Whether it is today or tomorrow, whether it's day or night, whether or not you choose to believe it, he's making all things, he's making all things right. When one of those clouds is full of angels, more than a million strong, one of those clouds is bringing Jesus. I've waited oh so long, every eye is going to see him. I will hear the trumpet blow. Mr. Weatherman, do you understand that that cloud means it's time to go home. Hey now, Mr. Weatherman, it's time to go home. Hey now, Mr. Weatherman, can you see the plan? Do you understand? Hey, Mr. Weatherman. That's it for the news. Here's Dan with the weather. Thanks, buddy. We've been having a lot of calls regarding that bright cloud in the east. It seems to be getting closer and closer. As far as the forecast, I think it's going to be a very good day. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for promising you're not going to forget your friends. And thank you that everybody in this room has the privilege of being your friend. Every one of us has the opportunity. We have time. We have life. We have breath. We have the ability to make choices and establish priorities. And I pray that you would enable us to make you the first priority. I would pray that you enable us to seek you first and understand that as we do that, all the things necessary for our lives will be added. We want to be among those as you return who look up and say, this is our Lord. We have waited for him. He will save us. We don't want to be among those who say, oh, man, I should have been more serious. May that not be the case for anyone here is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.